When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 211 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing the work-life balance, what it is, whether it's possible to achieve it, and if so, how. Today, I'm speaking with Shannon Hayes. Shannon wears an awful lot of hats, and I'm going to let her describe all those hats, but I will say that she is the author of a new book called Redefining Rich, Achieving True Wealth with Small Business, Side Hustles, and Smart Living. Shannon, I do think you are the perfect person to discuss the work-life balance with. How are you? Stephanie, I am so excited to be joining you today. And um, it's funny that you describe it's the sustainable middle sustainable minimalist podcast, and yet I come with this cloud of activity around me. So I'm so thankful to be here. Oh, well, you're so welcome. You have a crazy story. You wear a lot of hats, and yet you've somehow managed to achieve that elusive work-life balance. So why don't we start there? Tell us who you are and what are all the things that you do? Sure, sure. Well, um, I don't know where to start except to tell you that I work with three generations of my family on Satbush Hollow Farm, where I grew up. And while I grew up here, it's a a farm in the Catskill Mountains, um, the northern foothills of the Appalachian Mountain chain in upstate New York. I went to school down in the valley and was prepared to have a full-time career with being in academia. So I do have a PhD in sustainable agriculture and community development. At some point, uh, maybe we'll get into it today, maybe we won't, but I started to realize that if I really wanted to have a work-life balance... I needed to step off my career track, which was to become a college professor, and instead return and make my life my research, which is what I've done. I've returned to my family farm, and um, my husband and I worked worked to build that up. I've written some books. We have different enterprises, a lot of entrepreneurial ventures tied to the farm, and all of them were designed specifically to give us a good quality of life and to really keep that um, that harmony going, which by the way, is an endless challenge. It never stops. It's always a quest to find the work-life balance. I think it's one of those things where if you think you're there, then you're probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> well, I know in my own life, I don't wear nearly as many hats as you, but I'm still struggling to find it. If I 
give too much of myself to this podcast and my professional ventures, I feel as though I, I feel guilty. I have mom guilt that I'm perhaps not being the best mom I can be to my young daughters. And so I guess that's my first question. I know you have at least one child. How do you manage the farm and all the entrepreneurial ventures that you mentioned associated with, as well as be a great mother? How do you how do you combine those two in a way that makes sense? Well, um, yeah, so I, I, I should say um, it's a farm. We also run a farm to table cafe. We have vacation rentals. We also have full-time property rentals. And then, and then there's the writing and my podcast as well. So there's a lot going on. And yes, I have, I, uh, I have two kids, but as a result of COVID, I actually inherited a third teenager who was displaced as a result of the pandemic. So I now do it with three kids um, and we homeschool. And I would say the very first most important thing that uh, is the key here is long ago, before my children were even a glint in my eye, my husband and I did something that we call a quality of life statement, where we outlined the things that mattered most to us and what we were going after in our lives. And the thing about doing that together is we identified what I refer to in the book as true wealth, as opposed to the salary that we're taught that we're supposed to go after. And what we recognized was there's true wealth, which is priceless, and then there's salaries. And when we identified the true wealth, the things that we were really after, which was time to be together, time to raise our family and be with them, and we wanted to be able to play music to, I needed to be able to write. It's my creative outlet. We wanted to be in the woods every day. We wanted to be hiking and camping and um, being with our family and our friends. These were the things that we identified we were most after. And so we put ourselves on a trajectory to go for that. And we didn't worry about what the dollars looked like in terms of income. We focused on that. And when you're going for that work-life balance, that is that becomes your north star and you navigate by that quality of life statement so let's really hone in on this quality of life statement for any listeners listening who are listening to you talk about your journey and are thinking to themselves that's what i need i need to sit down with my partner and draft that quality of life statement do you how do you do it do you sit down do you actually put pen to paper what needs to be on it? What do you omit? Give me a little bit more details around all of that. Pen to paper? Absolutely. Maybe pencil to paper. You might be doing erasing a lot first. It's a, it's a conversation that you have to have. It's not something that you do privately and then don't share with your partner and you secretly pursue. This is an out and out conversation. And I would say it's, um, you know, if you have kids and those kids are old enough to participate in that dialogue, they're part of it too. Everybody is putting what they're out after in that quality of life statement. And it should include the big things that you want to achieve in your life, but it also should include what you want your days to look like and feel like. You know, for us, I don't want to feel hurried. I want to be able to take a nap during the day and I want time to be quiet and to do creative work. And we want to have dinner together every day. So these are just like little mechanical things that we expect the days to look like. And then there are things that we want to be working toward that matter to us, that we feel are important, that are part of our contributions to this world and to making it a better place. 
all of that gets in there. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a slick <laughs> corporate mission statement. It can be pretty messy. It can be different paragraphs for each person. What matters is that everyone hears what every single person in that household is going for and you help each other on that journey. Do you and your family ever sit back and revisit that quality of life statement? And I'm asking that because when my husband and I were about to get married, we sat down and we did something like what you're saying. We mapped out, you know, what we wanted our lives to look like. And over the years, we've been together for 16 years now, we we tend to revisit it. We talk about it. We still have the paper. We bring it out. We wonder if in the last 16 years we're on the same track as we had hoped, if our priorities have changed. And so I'm wondering whether there's any benefit, in your opinion, to checking back in, revisiting, because life does happen. It happens to us if we're not careful, right? So I feel as though you know, on this show, we're talking about intentional living, living according to our values, as opposed to society's values. Like, how does checking in with this piece of paper look like in your life? So it started off on a big wipe erase board in, in my kitchen. Over the years, it started to wear off <laughs> and we traced back over it. And then the kids got tall enough with their little stools and they scribbled all over it and it, it disintegrated. Um, by that time, it became an ingrained way of being for us. And now we don't stop to write it down because it's a constant ongoing dialogue that happens. Um, we'll just, we'll sit down for cocktails or we'll go out into the woods and sit down for our morning coffee. And it's just who we are. It's how we talk. It's how we explore. It's how we problem solve. So for uh, the first part of our marriage, yeah, it was definitely intentional. We would like take it down. We would revisit it regularly. We would talk about it. But then after a while, you've kind of, you set your course and you're so used to sharing what you're about and what you're after. And particularly with, with my life, with my husband, we're doing this together all the time. It isn't forever an ongoing dialogue. And we make big decisions all the time, always reflecting back to that quality of life statement. We'll make huge business decisions because we're realizing that the family work balance is out of whack. We will make decisions about what to put our kids in charge of, what to retreat from, all to keep that quality of life moving forward. And you know, now I'm 47 and the kids are 18 and 14. They're taking more on in the business and we're revisiting again going, wow, you know, it seems like we're at the height and we're just starting, but the truth is, you know, we're going to start throttling back a little bit and we need to start redesigning that thing again. It's a constant, constant conversation. It helps to start with it on the wall, but then as it becomes part of you, that doesn't mean you forget about it. It means you keep revisiting it in, in your everyday interactions. Well, in an email you wrote to me, you wrote, and I quote, I hope it's okay that I'm reading this. But you wrote that you still find time most days for an afternoon nap, morning coffee in the woods, sipping martinis while dancing in the kitchen and having lots of family fun. And I've 
since you wrote that to me a couple of weeks ago, I've it stayed with me and I think about it a lot. I thought about it just yesterday even, which was Sunday, which is supposed to be the day of rest. And yet I'm running around ragged trying to make sure the laundry's done so my daughter has a school uniform for tomorrow and preparing the uh, dinners for the week so that we're eating healthy and not just ordering takeout. And like, I want to have time to drink my morning coffee in the woods like you do with a good book. But then my next question then has to be about the finances. What do you say to people who would argue that in order to have that work-life balance, in order to have that great quality of life, the finances need to be there? The finances do need to be there. Absolutely. And the first thing I want to say is you're going for a work-life balance. And Stephanie, our conversation started with saying, it's always a quest. You're never there. It's always a quest where we get better at it. And the finances are a very important part of that picture. I talk about this in depth in the book, but essentially in order to work toward that, once you've established your quality of life, then the financial picture doesn't look like the conventional financial picture. A lot of people think, well, all right, I'm going after this quality of life. So I'm going to work really hard at my job so that I can retire early. So then I can go sit in the woods and drink my coffee. But what I've learned is um, there's a financial piece that's very important to understand. And one of those is that taking one form of employment income and then trying to have a work-life balance is, is actually pretty difficult. I recommend in the book that you choose at least three different forms of income for your household. And I talk about four different types. And I'm just going to quickly go through those right now. And as, as you hear me talk about them, I would say for any household, you should plan to have at least three of these four. The first one is meaningful employment. And meaningful employment means, yes, you're getting a, a weekly paycheck, but it's for a job that you really, really love. Like you are waking up in the morning going, I know my spirit was called here to this earth to be doing this work and it really matters. And the reason why I say it's meaningful employment is because it's actually the most expensive form of income to have. The way our tax structure is set up in the United States is that employment income is the most highly taxed income there is. And so that means what you earn, you get to keep a lot less of it than another form of income, the other forms that we're going to talk about. So it better be meaningful. It better be really helping your quality of life and helping your soul's calling to be doing that. The second form of income that uh, we talk about is business income, self-employment income. And a lot of people think, well, I don't have a winning business idea. I'm not going to become a Fortune 500. But actually, a very modest or small self-employed venture can do a lot to help the household income. We think in terms of how much it brings in in terms of revenue, but it's actually the tax benefits that it provides that help make, if you have meaningful employment as well, help make that employment income balance out and more affordable. So self-employment income, doing something that you love, contributing to building a life-serving economy, that's another great way to go. The third form of income, this is actually my highest form of income, is non-monetary. And these are things that you do that you don't have to pay someone else to do because you are available to them. Obviously, I'm on a farm. The clear one is I get to eat. I get to eat very well from all the different food that we grow. I have a restaurant and every week the farm down the road gives me these boxes of produce that, um, that the farm purchases to run through the cafe to cook and prepare. 
my family gets to eat the leftovers. That's no, that's non-monetary income. But also, um, um, I have a daughter who had a, a visually related learning disability. She has cerebral visual impairment. And the schools where I could have sent her would have cost $40,000 a year. I became her therapist and I homeschooled her so that she could have um, she didn't have to leave here and we didn't have to come up with that money. That's non-monetary income. When we take care of some of those things that we might have to hire someone else to do other people, it might be repairing their own car. It might be fixing things. It might be, um, growing some food in the backyard. All these things are non-monetary income and they can really add up and there's no taxes applied to those. So it's income that doesn't look like income. It's keeping your family life affordable. And then the fourth and final form is passive income. And these are things that you can do when you're sick and in bed. <laughs> it's income that still comes in. And it's very important to try to plan to have some of that. So it could be a vacation rental. It could be you know, a spare room that you put up on Airbnb. It could be royalties. It could be business transfer where another generation is coming in and you're doing less, they're more active and you're getting some residual income. It can be investment income. There are a lot of different ways to have passive income, but it's a very important to look at that and help put that in the financial picture. So once you have your quality of life statement where you know what your days are going to look like and what you want to be doing and how you want to be spending your life energy, then you look at these four forms of income and you should choose at least three. You should choose at least three for the whole household and they should match up and help you go for that quality of life that you're after. Okay, Shannon, I have a lot of questions about your four income streams, and I'm going to ask them all after a quick word from this week's sponsor. Fall is finally here, and you know what that means. Apple picking, pumpkin carving, and preparing those DIY gifts for the holidays. With a Maker Crate subscription from KiwiCo, you'll get new art and design projects delivered straight to your door each month with all the high quality tools and materials you need. My daughter and I just made a set of gilded journals together. I loved getting back in touch with my creative side that I have been neglecting. And Ani learned about an art form she's never experienced in school before, while also having an absolute blast experimenting with metal painting. Each crate features a new project like paper marbling, metal sculpture, or macrame, and as a mom, I appreciate that Maker Crate always delivers those fresh opportunities to connect with my daughter. Turn your artistic visions into reality just in time for the holidays with Maker Crate from KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping with code SUSTAINABLE at checkout. That is 50% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code SUSTAINABLE. And we are back with Shannon Hayes, author of Redefining Rich, Achieving True Wealth with Small Business, Side Hustles, and Smart Living. Shannon, as you were describing your four income streams, we should all have three of them. I must ask, what is your best advice for listeners who are hearing you right now and are saying to themselves, oh no, I have put all my eggs in that one basket, in that one career, and I only have one income stream as opposed to your recommended three. 
And perhaps even that all eggs in one basket doesn't even align with their sole purpose. It doesn't light them up. What do you say to them? I say to them, you have a fabulous journey, a great adventure ahead of you. So I've been working in this whole field for a long time. Prior to Redefining Rich, I wrote another book about radical homemakers, about people who really use the non-monetary income to really have a quality of life statement. And from all these years working and talking with people, I can see people very quickly say, well, I didn't make those decisions. It's over. That's just not available to me. And I'm going to accept where I am in my life, be angry about it, be resentful and say this other way is impossible. And that's that. And I'm going to just agree to be miserable. And I would say, wow, you're missing a journey. You are missing out on a lot of fun. This is hard. What we're talking about is not easy. And making this shift is part of the adventure of life. We tend to look at the decisions we made that we wished we hadn't made as failures and that we should then be punished to not have the life that we're after. When in truth, we're here on this planet to have an adventure, to have a journey. I would say then maybe it's not going to all change tomorrow, but you start with that quality of life statement and you start making little tiny decisions that work toward it. And you accept you are on a journey and you're going to try and you're going to try to find a way to move out of this. And I think a lot of people really are. I think this pandemic has taught a lot of people to start making more drastic moves. I mean, we're in the midst of the great resignation right now. I think a lot of people are saying, you know what? I'm learning my life has to be about something. If it's this precarious, it better be about something and I need to make changes. So I think that the sentiment nationwide is to go in this direction. And I would just say, yeah, it may not be perfect. You might have to keep your job for a little while while you transition to something. It might be that your partner can change or you can change and one of you has to keep going. But you have that quality of life statement out there as your compass and you just keep going toward it. And you accept that it's not about being there. It's not about arriving at your destination. It's about what you learn and how you grow and what you experience on that path. These troubles, these problems, they're what make your life interesting. You need something to talk about over morning coffee if you have a partner that you're talking about it with. These are the things that are going to make it really interesting. So don't be afraid of them. Yeah, I love all of that. The beauty is in the journey, right? Life is short. All these platitudes that we hear day in and day out that we kind of gloss over because you've heard them so many times before, they're all true, right? Like Life is so short. It's too short to be perhaps working at a job that doesn't light you up and get you thrilled to jump out of bed every morning. And you're right. The courage to start the journey is what makes you interesting. What makes you want, people want to talk to you at a dinner party, let's say. So I'd love to transition this conversation into your thoughts on thinking like a chef. How on earth does thinking like a chef come into this conversation? I can't wait to learn. <laughs> A chef, when you're running a restaurant, I've now learned, you have all your tools where they need to be. And as soon as you're finished using those tools, you put them right back at that original location. But more than that, when you're going to prepare something, you don't say, oh, I need the salt. Now I need the baking powder. I add the salt, 
and then put the salt away and then go grab the baking powder. No, you line up every ingredient that you're going to need to make a particular dish at the moment that you need it. And then as you finish, you put those ingredients back. The other thing about thinking like a chef is you must be discreet with your life. You come under pressure when you're a chef. You've got six different orders coming in and they all need to be at someone's table all at the same time and everybody wants something different. And you need to push away all the business of the world and you need to go into this this zen state where you are absolutely just focused on that task. And then no matter who blows up at each other, anyone who's worked in the kitchen knows they can be like emotional firestorms. Whatever happens there, you walk away and leave it. So there's a couple things. There's the mise en place. You line up what you're going to do, you execute it. Then there's the presence that you must have on the job. You don't carry your baggage with you when you're on the job and you walk away and you rejoin your life afterwards. You don't carry that stress with you. But then this whole idea of mise en place carries out to the rest of your week. What you have to do is I actually look at my whole week that way. I sit down on Sunday. I take a few quiet minutes. I look at my calendar for the week. I think about the dishes that have to be prepared in order to be open on Saturday. And I think about, I look at all the kids' schedules and every single day I say it's the me's for the week. And I figure out when someone's going to run the errands and when someone is, you know, needs to be in the class and it, it all gets laid out there. But the first thing that goes on that me's as, you know, thinking like a chef for my life is where's my quality of life? So the naps are on the weekly mise en place. The time to have coffee, yeah, there's two hours blocked out every single day. Even in the height of book publicity, there's two hours blocked out every single morning to have coffee with my husband. So you take those quality of life things and you put them on there and then you put the other things in around them. So you're, you're looking at that quality of life statement again and you are taking it and manifesting it on, on paper or your computer, wherever you do this and figuring out how things are going to work each day so that you have those things in your life. They need to be there first. They're not an afterthought. It's not, oh honey, I'll have time for you if I get everything else done. It's about making that quality of life your first priority. Hmm. I've said before on this show that I make a schedule for my day every single day. I'm just a quite a quite a type A person in that regard. But I have started writing in the exercise. Exercise is something that means a lot to me. It makes me feel so much better. So I have to schedule it on my calendar. I have to schedule taking the dog for a walk. I like doing these things, but I've learned that if I don't put my loves, my reading of the book, let's say, on my schedule, it's just not going to get done because uh, life happens to me if I'm not careful. Do you find that in your life as well? Absolutely. What has happened over time is it's gotten absorbed. These quality of life things have gotten absorbed. When I started realizing that I was responding to everyone rather than taking charge and putting what I want forward, which I think as a woman in America, I am inclined to do. I'm inclined to put my family first and to put everyone's needs ahead of mine, thinking that that's me being responsible, when it's actually me uh, short shrifting myself, which is then turning me into a bitter parent, and I don't want to be there. So I had to start realizing, yeah, the stuff that makes my life really happy has to get in there. And when I put that stuff in there that makes me really happy, I'm a better mother, I'm a better wife. 
I'm a better daughter, and I'm a better business owner. My head is clear and I'm present. It has to physically show up until it is so ingrained that you know that you never schedule between the hours of 7.15 and 8 a.m. because you're working out. Until it's ingrained, it has to be there. I think what you're mentioning there is creating boundaries so that you put yourself first. And so that's my final question for you today. How do you create those boundaries and what on earth is your yes, no, yes formula? Oh, I love yes, no, yes. I create boundaries with the magical word no. There was one year where, I mean, I come to these now at age 47 because I spent a lot of years trying to pursue my quality of life and stressing myself out. (laughs) So a lot of errors have taught me things. And there was uh, one year where I decided for Christmas, the one thing I wanted for Christmas was to learn how to say no. And I went on a, on a quest to learn this process. And one of the things is like, all right, just for this week, I'm going to, I'm going to find six things I'm going to say no to. I'm going to take them off my schedule. I'm going to tell those people I can't do it anymore. And it started off with, and six was a lot, but it helped a lot. Um, And then I started reading books to try to learn how to do this. And the very best book I learned was written by a man who co-authored Getting to Yes. It was a book about negotiation. And he wrote another book called The Power of of Positive No. It was written by William Urey. And in it, he teaches a very simple, simple formula called Yes, No, Yes. And I should say, as I researched the importance of saying no, I found out that a lot of successful people, you say a hundred no's to every yes. And again, I'm trained to be good and responsive and caring. And that makes me tend to say yes to everything. And then I had to learn, no, if I'm going to be successful, I say no to a lot and I have to develop that habit. And yes, no, yes helped me. Yes means the first yes is what you're saying yes to in terms of what's important to you. So if you wanted me to join you on a committee of podcasters to create the National Alliance of Podcasters, then I'm probably going to say no. If I have to, it's weekly meetings, Shannon, and we're going to meet every week while you're out for coffee. So you'll just give it up once a week. It's no problem. Well, I'm going to be saying no. But the first thing I'm going to say to you is, Stephanie, I really love that podcasters across the United States are working together. I, and then I also need to say what I'm saying yes to, which is I really value my time with my husband in the morning. I cannot agree to any meetings in my week. I just said no. So the first yes was what I like, what it's about. Then I say no. Then what I can say yes to. So I might say, but I'm really happy to promote your new association on all my social media channels. If you send me the graphics, I'll make sure they all go up and I'll repost. So yes, what I value about what you're doing, what I need to value about myself, no, what I'm saying no to directly, and yes, what I could do. And I've found that this formula is really helpful when I don't know how to approach it Um, I, it gives me a formula to step in and say, okay, yes, no, yes. Let me look at how I can handle this. Get things off your schedule so that you can make your quality of life. The first 
and most important thing that you do, because that is how you will truly get rich. (laughs) Shannon, tell my listeners where they can find your podcast, where they can find your books, and where they can learn more about your farm. Sure. Well, you can listen to The Hearth of Satbush Hollow. It runs seasonally because I rest, but all the back episodes are up there. It runs during the growing season. And you can find The Hearth of Satbush Hollow anywhere you download podcasts. Um, we talked about the quality of life statement and the um, the four income streams. If they want to learn more about that, if they go to the radicalhomemaker.net or satbush.com, it takes you to the same landing page. And the book itself which I'm sure they're going to want now is redefining rich, achieving true wealth with small business side hustles and smart living that can be found anywhere they order books or buy books. Well, Shannon, this was such an insightful conversation. I'm really looking forward to sitting down with my husband and redrafting our quality of life statement. You've given me a lot of excitement and passion to do that. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and I wish you and your family the best of luck. Thank you, Stephanie. It was a blast. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shannon Hayes, author of Redefining Rich. I have linked to her website, her book, her podcast, and even the free resources she has offered on her website that can help you draft that quality of life statement and define your alternative income streams. You can find all of that and more (laughs) and more as always in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 211. I will see you on Thursday where I'm answering a listener's question all about what minimalists do with the stuff they find that has potential value. I will see you then. Have an amazing two days. I'll see you on Thursday and take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion? Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.